0: Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, offering online master's degrees in elementary education, higher education, and early childhood education. Your master's degree can be earned online in as little as one to two years. More information at
1: education.olmiss.edu.
2: Good morning. It's 8.30. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, find out what an organization representing state business leaders is hoping to get out of the legislative session. Then, why one organization says Mississippi doesn't use enough of its welfare dollars to help the poor.
1: What we saw in the early 2000s is the state spent a lot more on uh, child care and it spent more on basic cash assistance in the last decade or so. The state has spent more on work-related support.
2: And an artistic relative of a Tuskegee Airman is honored at the Capitol. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. More dollars into the state's roads and bridges may be gaining momentum at the Capitol. House Speaker Philip Gunn of Clinton told members of the Mississippi Economic Council the challenge is not raising taxes or fees to fund improvements, which he says are the options MEC has offered. Gunn says he's looking for solutions, including examining the State Department of Transportation's budget.
0: Within the last week, I have met with opponents to doing anything about uh, roads and bridges. I have met with proponents about doing things for roads and bridges. I have met with MDOT on multiple occasions, and I'm searching for efficiencies within
2: that organization. MPB's Mark Rigsby talks with Scott Waller of the Mississippi Economic Council. Waller says they're committed to helping legislators find multiple means of funding infrastructure improvement.
0: What's the big issue? Is it still infrastructure improvement?
3: Well, there's no question. Infrastructure is the very top of the priority list. In fact, we uh, have, will continue to work on this issue. It's, it's something that's vitally important for our state economically. It's vitally important for our citizens from a safety and reliability standpoint of our roadways. So there's no question that, that we're, uh, infrastructure, transportation infrastructure, is truly a key component of what we're going to be working on. But MEC works on a variety of broad-based issues. We look at how how are things affecting our workforce, how are affecting our economy, what are we doing in education to make sure that, that we're providing the types of educations to create the, the type of workforce that we need across the state, not only today, but in years to come. State revenues
0: uh, continue to be sluggish There are so many ideas about how to fund infrastructure improvements. What does the MEC believe is the best way to fund improving our roads and bridges in our state?
3: Well, I'll be honest with you. It's it's not an easy thing to say, but it's going to require an increase in revenue. And the only way to increase revenue is either increase taxes or fees. But we've looked at that very closely. We realize that the, the amount of money that we're talking about is not a huge amount for the individual automobile driver. Our research shows us that for what we're saying is we need to have an additional $375 million that will go into uh, our infrastructure system to improve our transportation. What we're looking at is going to cost the average automobile driver a little less than $2 a week, less than 80% of automobile drivers, I mean, I'm sorry, about 80% of automobile drivers fill up only once a week or a little less. So that's what, I mean, the research is there. It, sh- it, it bears out the cost of that. So in doing so, you would see that. So it actually, the way we look at it is it needs to be user fee based. Those that are using the system are the ones that pay for the system. So you're talking about a gas tax? Gas tax or a fee on vehicles or whatever, a combination thereof, whatever it takes to get it so that those people, our, our citizens who are using the, the roadways are the ones that are paying for the roadways. Do you think something realistically will be done this session? You know, I'm going to say I'm optimistic that we will continue to keep its forefront. I I think that we have to go in with the approach of we want to see something happen this session because the longer we wait, the more difficult it's going to become and the more costly it's going to become. The sooner we address this issue, the better it's going to be. It's, it's really, if you want to look at it from this perspective, think about it from... If you want to really be, what is the most conservative thing you can do? That's protect the investment that you've already made. Put money back into it so it's protected. So that's why we believe we have to do this as quickly as possible. So the sooner the better, and we're hoping that something happens this year. So what happens if this
0: problem keeps getting pushed to the back burner? What does that mean overall economically for
3: Mississippi? I want to, this is my, in my opinion, I don't think it's being pushed to the back burner. I really believe that our leadership understand it's a problem. I don't think there's a solution that they're comfortable with yet, and as a result it may seem like it's getting pushed back, but in reality they understand it's at the forefront for them as well. I mean, I think we heard that from the speaker today. But what we have to make people understand is if we don't really find that solution, if we don't make that commitment soon, that the dollars we're talking about today are only going to be more in the future, and that's the reason we have to do that.
0: We've talked a lot about infrastructure, and you mentioned some other issues that MEC focuses on, but what's the number two priority for this year?
3: Well, I think the number two priority, and it's based on basically what we heard today with our our legislative leadership, is education. We have to make sure that we're looking at the proper and right ways to make sure that we have education funding for all of our students, and we're doing everything we can to improve education. What we have to understand is while, yes, Those those students that are graduating from college, graduating from, from our community colleges or workforce training programs or even high school, that's our workforce today. But those people entering first grade is our workforce 12, 14, 16 years from now. So we have to continue to focus on are we putting everything in place from an educational standpoint? to make sure that we're, we're improving our educational system, continuing to make strides to get better at it. And, and MEC has been long involved in making sure that's the case because there's a strong coalition between a business's success and educational success in that community.
0: Well, would MEC then cross over into the education debate over changing the education funding formula?
3: Oh, MEC is definitely going to be... Uh, We've, we, we had the opportunity to meet with the consultants that are looking at this and get, get some information from them. We'll continue. We've, we have extended the, the offer to, to work with them in any way possible because what we understand is the key is we have to make sure that we're addressing those key needs that we need across the state and that we're definitely want to be part of that conversation and do what we can to find the right solution going forward. Does MEC have a position on it at this point? Well, since there's actually no actual plan or presentation that's been made, it's very hard to have a position. But MEC does have a position that we want to make sure we're funding our education system properly. And that's the reason we want to be making sure we're keeping up and involved in this process every step of the way and finding solutions as opposed to being set in one certain thing. We realize there's always different ways to do things. Let's find the right way and improve education in Mississippi. Scott, thanks for being on the program today. We do appreciate your time. Thank you so much.
2: Scott Waller of the Mississippi Economic Council with MPB's Mark Rigsby. Learn more about week one of the 2017 legislative session on the season premiere of MPB's At Issue. It's tonight at 7.30 on MPB TV. Find out why one organization says Mississippi doesn't use enough of its welfare dollars to help the poor. That's next. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
0: Coming up this week on MPB's At Issue, lawmakers are back at work at the state capitol for the 2017 legislative session. Education, infrastructure, and the budget are expected to be at the top of the agenda. MPB's political analysts, Democrat Brandon Jones and Republican Austin Barber, provide insight on the critical issues facing the state and how legislators handle them. Join us for Mississippi's only statewide television news program, At Issue, Friday, January 6th at 7.30 p.m. on MPB-TV.
2: Inauguration Day is right around the corner, and Chapter 1 of a new administration is set to begin. As stories take shape, NPR will be here with coverage you can depend on to help you make sense of it all. Listen every day. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Clint Martin is an artist. Paintings, excuse me. Federal money comes into Mississippi each year in the form of a TANF block grant. TANF stands for Temporary Assistance for Needy Families. A new report says the state should spend more on direct child care costs and cash assistance to families. The report is called TANF at 20 in Mississippi. We talk with Carol Burnett and Matt Williams of the Mississippi Low Income Child Care Initiative, which produced the report.
4: This report is a look at how Mississippi has used the TANF welfare funds over the last 20 years. And we have looked at it from the point of view of, you know, the TANF uh, welfare reform was intended to move people out of welfare and to work. And what we discovered in our review of the last 20 years of TANF in Mississippi is that people have moved off of welfare. But people have not moved out of poverty and people have not moved into work. And so our hope in sharing this is that we can equip policymakers with information about what hasn't worked and what has worked, hoping that we can improve what our state does with TANF welfare money as we move forward.
2: How does someone move out of welfare but the status of their financial situation or job situation remain unchanged?
4: Because they were sanctioned off the welfare program, and then they were no longer receiving any of the benefits. If you leave welfare, that doesn't automatically mean that you've gone to work. It just means you're not on the welfare rolls anymore. Uh, So if the rules about what you have to do to comply result in a sanction for noncompliance, if you have reached your lifetime maximum of eligibility, because the TANF welfare program imposed a lifetime cap on how long a person could receive benefits, So there are a lot of ways that you can end up off welfare without going to
2: work. In Mississippi, what is the status of federal block grants given to Mississippi based on the maintenance of effort requirement? And that's what Mississippi has to provide.
4: Uh, well, Mississippi has met the MOE requirements and we continue to receive the federal block grant of the TANF welfare. Now, the fact that it is a block grant is um, one of the things that is really different about TANF than the welfare reform Mississippi had prior to TANF because the previous welfare program was an entitlement. So anybody who was eligible received the benefit and the reach of the welfare program to a larger amount of Mississippi's poor population was much broader. Under TANF, we're serving many fewer people in poverty than we were under the previous welfare program.
2: Matt, let me bring you into this conversation. As the author of the report and the title being A Path Out of Poverty or a Shrinking Safety Net, what happens to those people who are no longer covered under TANF?
1: Well, I think that recipients uh, who are no longer covered by TANF continue to work most often, uh, unfortunately, in jobs that pay wages that are too low to really uh, sustain um, a, a quality of life. Um, so that, that is really what happens to people uh, who end up losing TANF. Um, so the the state is required to engage TANF recipients in work activity. But what that means uh, really is, is left up to the state. And people don't necessarily uh, have to... Uh, be in a, uh, uh, or achieve self-sufficiency to lose TANF. Uh, and so what we've seen is that TANF has really emphasized in the sort of immediate interaction with the work uh, force for better or worse. And really, there's been less focus on increasing the employability of TANF recipients.
2: You said that there's a decreased quality of life can it even be subsisting on basic needs I mean able to provide the basic necessities?
1: what we've also seen is that uh, uh, the TANF caseload has just dramatically uh, fallen uh, the TANF caseload has fallen by two thirds since two thousand and three uh, we've went we've gone from a, a rate of approved applications uh, from 35% uh, uh, in 2010 to only approving just over 1% of applications in 2015. But
2: why is that ca- Why is that the case if the federal government is providing the block grant and Mississippi is doing what it needs to match those funds?
1: Well, it's about how the state is prioritizing the spending of TANF. Um, what we saw in the early 2000s is the state spent a lot more on uh, child care and it's spent more on basic cash assistance and what we've seen in the last decade or so is the state has spent more on work-related supports and activities and less on child care and less on basic cash assistance. Uh, And so what we've seen is that uh, while uh, uh, the state is spending uh, funds on uh, activities that are defined as, as work-related activities, the state served far more families below poverty when it's spent more on child care and when it's spent more on basic cash assistance.
2: Carol, let me ask you, uh, as the head of the Mississippi Low-Income Child Care Initiative, what are you telling legislators? How are you lobbying on behalf of those who receive TANF?
4: One of the things that we think is important to recognize is who the families are, that are on welfare. And what we know is that they're virtually entirely single moms with young children. And because that's true, what we know that those families need is affordable full-time childcare so they can go to work and education and training that takes them to jobs that are going to provide for economic security. And those are the two proposals that were taken to the legislature. We want the legislature to weigh in on the need to use more TANF funds to provide more child care for this population of families so that their transition from welfare into work is supported. There have been studies that have shown that a mom who leaves welfare to work is 82% more likely to still be working two years later if she's gotten child care assistance. And so it's been proven to be an investment that makes that transition from welfare to work most successful. And that is a proposal that we're taking to the legislature in 2017.
2: Thank you so much. We've been speaking with Carol Burnett. She's the executive director of the Mississippi Low Income Child Care Initiative. And Matt Williams, who is the author of this report, 10th at 20, A Path Out of Poverty or a Shrinking Safety Net. Thank you both. Thank you very much. Hear from an artistic relative of a Tuskegee Airman being honored at the Capitol. That's coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
4: I'm Kara Miller. Every week on Innovation Hub, I talk with the thinkers, researchers, and visionaries who are crafting our future. Tune in to hear conversations about how tribalism shapes us, what new research on obesity reveals, how chicken changed America, and why math class should be reinvented. Coming Sunday, January 8th at noon. Hear Innovation Hub on MPB Think Radio.
2: Some may think of Mississippi only in terms of black and white, but Mississippians come from many different backgrounds. First were the Native Americans from the Choctaw, Chickasaw, and other tribes. Then came the Spanish and French, followed by settlers from England, Scotland, Ireland, and continental Europe. Africans first came to Mississippi as slaves, living lives of toil and suffering. Chinese and Italians later came to the Delta in large numbers. The Gulf Coast welcomed Eastern Europeans, Lebanese, and later Vietnamese and Cambodians. In central Mississippi, you'll find many from Latin America, India, and the Middle East. Every group brought with them their traditions, music, food, religion, and art, and each has helped create the diverse state we live in today. Each week during this bicentennial year, we'll bring you another thread in this rich tapestry. We call it Mississippi, a thread through time.
0: Coming up this week on MPB's At Issue, lawmakers are back at work at the state capitol for the 2017 legislative session. Education, infrastructure, and the budget are expected to be at the top of the agenda. MPB's political analysts, Democrat Brandon Jones, and Republican Austin Barber provide insight on the critical issues facing the state and how legislators handle them. Join us for Mississippi's only statewide television news program, At Issue, Friday, January 6th at 7.30 p.m. on MPB-TV.
2: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Clint Martin is an artist. Paintings depicting art, uh, airfields, planes, and runways are especially meaningful to him. After all, his uncle was a Tuskegee airman. Martin was at the state capitol yesterday where one of his paintings was being unveiled. He spoke with our Mark Rigsby about how it all came about.
5: Well, I had made a proposal to some of the friends that I know in Hattiesburg about possibly donating a piece of art to come into the state capital capital to honor a group of guys that I thought was great people, which was called the Tuskegee Airmen. All of the pilots that came out of World War II trained at Tuskegee, Alabama. Of course, they were not all from Tuskegee. They were from all parts of the country. Tell us about the painting. The painting itself depicts an actual mission that was flown by the 15th Air Force. Uh, It was one of those missions whereby they escorted the bombers to their targets and back, and on the way back home to their home base, if they saw any war materials out there that could have been used against them in their quest to uh, end the war, they were to destroy the equipment. So that's what they did. They encountered about 150 aircraft parked on the ramp and to make sure they didn't fly anymore, they destroyed them. It. it was an actual mission that was flown by the 15th Air Force.
0: And it was a successful mission? Absolutely,
5: without a doubt.
0: What is your personal connection
5: to the Tuskegee Airmen? I have an uncle that was a part of the Red Tail Fighter Palace, which was uh, the Tuskegee Airmen. Uh, he was involved in Ramatelli, Italy, uh... nineteen forty three to nineteen forty five he flew about hundred and ten missions at that time black pilots didn't have any replacements like the white pilots because there was not so many black pilots that was qualified to actually fly plus the fact there was a quota system where they only accepted so many during the course of any particular time frame but he was one of the fortunate ones um, He went to Alcorn University and uh, wound up retired in Southfield, Michigan. He's no longer with us, but I fondly remember him. What was his name? His name was Walter Downs.
0: And he had a successful career after he left military?
5: Yeah, he taught school. Mm -hmm. All the the guys was pretty fortunate. They all had college backgrounds they had to have college backgrounds from the higher-ups that said that you had to at least have two years of college before they would even accept an application from you. And realize.
1: projectors
5: kept, they didn't realize that they were picking the cream of the crop. According to the history books, they had the highest IQ of any pilot that flew in World War II.
0: You have other artwork that that uh, is, is here with you today. Can you describe that type of artwork as well?
5: Yes, I can. Um, most of the art that I've done is either a commemorative piece. Uh, it is a mission that has been flown by the guys. Uh, I have a stack of history books that tells about these guys. And if I was going to tell the story in the form of the art world, I need to be accurate as to what I'm trying to show to people. So bottom line is, I don't paint unless I know I am accurate. Thank you very much for your time today. We do appreciate it. Well, thank you kindly, sir. Always a pleasure.
2: Artist Clint Martin, whose painting honoring the Tuskegee Airmen, now hangs in the Mississippi State Capitol building in Jackson. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for local Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's the Gestalt Gardener. Then at 10, next stop, Mississippi. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy for Women. Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB Public Media app in any mobile store. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again Monday morning at 830 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio.
0: Place Tech for January 6th. I'm Ben Johnson in New York. Today a film called Hidden Figures opens in theaters around the country. It's about three African